test, test, test. Good morning and welcome here this morning. Uh, if you want to follow along in the bulletin, I'm just going to highlight a few things. On the back page, I just want you to please note there is a family's pizza lunch planned here for next Sunday. That's January 12th after the service. If you will be attending, please RSVP to Annalie at the email address in the bulletin so she knows how much pizza to order. Then in the center section, uh, let's just take note of a few people here that we want to remember in our congregation. So let's remember and pray for Helen Barkman, who's in the Asper building at St. Boniface Hospital, Florence Gertzen and Irene Rample in Bethesda Hospital, Linda Martins, that she will look forward to a new, a new year living in Bethesda Place. Let's remember Daniel and Damaris Lone Rogers, that they will be hopeful in their work as they enter the new year. And one announcement that did not make it into the bulletin, likely many of you got an email about it, we want to remember Doris Friesen and her family as they remember who Dave was to them. There will be a funeral held at the Nubothwell Christian Fellowship Church Tuesday, January 7th, and there will be a public viewing at 12 that day, and a funeral will follow at 1. Please join me as we enter into worship. The wait is over. The mystery has been made known. Arise, shine, walk in Christ's new path, and be transformed. Good morning. Please stand with us as we sing Here I Am to Worship. Please join me reading the call to worship that's on the screen. 
All right, I will, I will read all parts this morning. O oh God, our God, you cry out to us, asking when will you see the light that I am, the grace I have extended to all people, the dance out of the darkness and into righteousness to which I invited you. Can we see that in you we are transformed, unable to go back the way we have known? God, what are we waiting for? Please pray with me. God, you have made yourself known to us, revealed to us your mystery, and we are transformed. Our lives will never be the same in the light of this truth. Our hearts thrill and rejoice. We lift our voices together with all of creation and sing our praises to you. The whole world is filled with joy and has been made glad. Emmanuel, God with us. Amen. Next we'll be singing hymn number 215. What child is this? Please join us. Please stand. Scripture reading this morning is from Galatians 1, 11 to 24. For I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel that was proclaimed by me is not of human origin. For I did not receive it from a human source, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. You have heard, no doubt, of my earlier life in Judaism. I was violently persecuting the Church of God and was trying to destroy it. I advanced in Judaism beyond many among my people of the same age, for I was far more zealous for the traditions of my ancestors. But when God, who had set me apart before I was born and called me through his grace, was pleased to reveal his Son to me so that I might proclaim him among the Gentiles, I did not confer with any human being, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were already apostles before me. But I went away at once into Arabia 
and afterwards I returned to Damascus. Then, after three years, I did go up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and stayed with him 15 days. But I did not see any other apostle except James, the Lord's brother. In what I am writing to you before God, I do not lie. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown by sight to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only heard it said, The one who formerly was persecuting us is now proclaiming the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. Nelson Mandela was born in South Africa. He studied law in two universities before becoming a lawyer in Johannesburg. And there he became involved in anti-colonial politics as a young man. After the country's National Party's white-only government established apartheid, he and his political affiliation committed themselves to its overthrow. He rose to prominence for his involvement in a campaign which promoted and committed acts of defiance and civil obedience, disobedience, the protests being largely nonviolent. He was arrested for seditious activities but was unsuccessfully persecuted for treason. But, influenced by Marxism, he secretly joined the banned South African Communist Party and although initially committed to nonviolent protest, he eventually co-founded a militant resistance and led a sabotage campaign against the government. He was arrested and imprisoned in 1962 and subsequently sentenced to life in prison for conspiring to overthrow the state. Mandela served 27 years in prison, but amid growing international and domestic pressure, fears of a civil war, he was released in 1990. Together, he and South Africa's president led efforts to negotiate an end to apartheid, which resulted in a general election in which he became the next president. As such, he led a broad coalition emphasizing reconciliation between the country's racial groups. Mandela was a controversial figure for much of his life. Critics on the right denounced him as a communist terrorist, denunciations which may have been somewhat accurate at the beginning of his activism. Those on the far left deemed him too eager to negotiate and reconcile with apartheid supporters. And this is what I wanted to note in the story today. If you have watched and believed the movies made about him, and if you haven't, you should, it seems that 27 years in the wilderness, in prison, changed him and his understanding of how the country could be changed. He seems to have come out of prison ready to work in a different way than he was doing when he was convicted and sentenced to a life in prison, one politically motivated. He was ready to lead peacefully, both white and black South Africans, in a conciliatory and just way as if 27 years of hiddenness had formed and changed him, made him into someone else. Okay, we will be singing It Came Upon a Midnight Clear, hymn 195. Please stand and join us. We will not be singing verse 3. to hear the angels 
Invite the children's forward for a children's story. start of a new year. Do you know what year it is? January. January 2020. We can all see clearly now. Okay, so I hate to break it to you, but tomorrow many of you will be going back to work. I mean school. Back to what it, well some of us are going to go back to work too. But I wonder how Finn is feeling about the new year. Should we call Finn out? Yeah. Okay, you ready? Join me. One, two, three, Finn the Dragon! Finny! 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 Finn, are you speaking dragon this morning? No, I'm celebrating today with cheer! Finn, you're celebrating what? Christmas is over. New Year's is over. What's left to celebrate? Uh, Mel, don't you know about the gospel lesson this morning? Oh, I do. It's the story of the Magi coming to visit the baby Jesus. Exactly. And you know what people do when a baby's born? Mm-hmm. They bring gifts to the parents for the baby, right? Exactly. That's what the Magi did. What else do you do when you find out that a baby's being born. Well, you congratulate the parents and give thanks for the gift of a child. And that's exactly what I was doing this morning. Epiphany! Epiphany! Okay, okay, Finn, I get it. You want to celebrate like the Magi did when they found the baby Jesus. But I don't understand your cheer. It kind of sounds like hip, hip, hooray, which is something people shout at a birthday. Well, maybe in my excitement, I'm cheering too quickly. Let's slow it down. Mm, okay, I like slow. Yeah, repeat after me. Ip. Ip. Piff. Piff. Fanny. Fanny. Okay, yeah, now let's say it a little bit faster. Ip. Ip. Piff. Fanny, Epiphany, 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 Epiphany. Oh, I get it, Finn. You're cheering Epiphany. You got it. I'm cheering Epiphany because today is Epiphany. Today we celebrate the light has come to the world. The light. Jesus. Oh, the light came into the world to show us the way. The way of reaching out to others with kindness, compassion, joy. Justice and peace and love. I think it would be great if we all cheered together. Let's give it a try. Okay, kids, you ready? Parents, grandparents, uncles and aunts help out too. Let's start slow and get faster. Ready? Epiphany. Epiphany. Epiphany! Epiphany! Amen.
All right, kids, you can go back to your parents, or kids ages 3 through grade 8 can go to Children's Church. Bye-bye. Please follow along on the screen and read the parts marked Congregation. Lift up your eyes and look around. The darkness shall no longer cover the earth. Gather your children and bring gifts to the Lord. Arise, shine, and be transformed. We'll be singing In the Bleak Midwinter. It's not in the hymnal, but we have the words on the screen. So if you're able to sing along, please stand and join us.
After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judah, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where's the one who's been born, the king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it appeared, and we have come to worship him. Well, when Herod heard this, he was greatly disturbed, and all of Jerusalem with him. And so he, after he had called together all the chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem of Judea, they said, for that's what the prophet has written. O Bethlehem in the land of Judah, you are by no means the least among the prophets of Judah, for out of you will arise a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Well, when Herod heard that, he was disturbed, as I said. And so he called the Magi secretly and figured out from them the exact time that the star had appeared. And then he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. And when you have found him, come and report to me so that I too may go and worship him. So, after they had heard Herod, they went on their way. And the star that they had seen when it appeared went ahead of them until it stopped above the place where the child was. And they were overjoyed. And upon coming to the house, they saw the child, his mother Mary. And they bowed down, and they worshipped him. And then opening their treasures, they presented him with gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. Having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they then went back to their own country by a different way. And after they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream at night and said to him, Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt, for Herod is going to try and kill the child. So he got up and took the child and his mother at night and went to Egypt and stayed there until Herod had died. This to fulfill what the prophets had written, that out of Egypt I called my son. I won't be the first one saying the word today, because Kyle and Jen introduced it to us, but today we separate what's called as epiphany. Used religiously, it's Jesus being revealed as light to the Gentiles in the story of the Magi, an epiphany, a revealing. When we use, a, in the, in the, uh, when we use, or use it to talk about someone in the field of music or business or academia or politics or athletics, we say that when someone, usually someone who until that time was relatively hidden or unnoticed or unaccomplished, has been a revelation when we get to know about them. An epiphany is the moment that they've been revealed, really seen for the first time, released from their anonymity, becoming a star. Matthew's Gospel, which this story comes from, spends less time on the Christmas story than Luke does. There's no angel telling Mary that she's going to have a child. There's no manger scene with animals and no shepherds and angels in the fields at night. Only eight lonely verses out of 25 in the first chapter, where Joseph is told by an angel that he's supposed to take Mary as his wife despite the unsavory circumstances that she's going to have a child and he knows that he's had no part in it. And then a whole chapter about epiphany, Jesus being revealed by and to the Gentiles, those who were not Jews. Now, we in Canada don't understand royalty much. We used to sing God Save the Queen a long time ago. I remember that. Some of us are interested in royalty, though, and if you follow MSN or tabloid news, royalty is not dead, at least not in places like the UK, and you can get a regular dose of royal stories, real juicy ones, too, if you want. Royalty, as in the line of David, must have been a big enough deal in Jesus' day to give Herod cause to ponder. Big enough to wonder what his future would be like if someone with enough credentials to cause problems would arise and agitate the people that were under his command. Not that it would have threatened his power. That, after all, came from the occupying Rome who gave him the position, and no one could really threaten them. Just like these days, can anyone really threaten America? 
but by threatening his control on the people, if they began to become agitated and revolutionary, someone might damage his reputation with his Roman bosses, leading to a possible removal in favor of someone else who could better keep the peace. In other words, Rome had nothing to lose, but Herod had everything to lose. And so, his violence. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious. And he gave a command to kill all the boys in Bethlehem in its vicinity, two years old and younger, in accordance with the time that he had discerned with the Magi. Then what was filled, fulfilled what had been written by the prophet Jeremiah, a voice is heard in Ramah, weeping, gnashing of teeth and groaning. Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted, for they are no more. Well, after that, and after Herod had died, the angel of the Lord appeared again to Joseph in a dream in Egypt and said, Go to the land of Israel. So he got up and took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he discovered that Archelaus was reigning in Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. So having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the region of Galilee and settled in a small town of Nazareth. So was fulfilled the words of the prophets, he will be called a Nazarene. I've heard sermons about and preached on the Magi before. A few years ago, I preached one on the violence of Herod, which turned family into refugees, Jesus' family into refugees. But I don't think that I'd ever before been struck with the last part of the story the way that I was when I learned it this time. That Jesus is hidden, taken by his mom and dad back to Nazareth, Mary's small hometown, far from Jerusalem because they were afraid of being anywhere even close to the seat of power that threatened them years earlier. A place referred to condescendingly by others, as seen when later in the Gospels a potential disciple of Jesus asks, can anything good come out of Nazareth? When they're wondering about Jesus. Revealed by the Magi, only to be hidden again in Nazareth. Maybe I was struck with that because I thought about how, for many of us, hiddenness would likely not be called good or important. We might feel that not much happens when things are hidden or when we are hidden. It's likely not advantageous, for example, for your career to stay hidden. If you're trying to climb any kind of ladder to greater opportunities and salary, you should probably be noticeable. In school, you can't hardly remain hidden. You might actually be graded on your class participation, lauded for being on teams and volunteering on projects and, and being involved. If you're interested in a relationship and you're not one in one, staying hidden just might not get you one. You might have to get on a website, include a picture of yourself that's a lot younger than you actually are now, <laughs> looks like you want it to look like, exaggerates just a bit how much you love dogs, how kind you are, how wonderful your sense of adventure and humor are. When you're retired, you're supposed to stay far from hidden too. And most seniors do. I hear them saying, we're busier now than we were when we were working. Local charities need you every day, early in the morning to late at night. And in a hyper-connected world where you could know right now if you turned on your phone, and I'm glad you haven't, what's happening in India? Hiddenness is hardly even a possibility. But at least in this story, and maybe for all of our cases, I'd also like us to think about this maybe just a little bit differently. This part of the story of Jesus struck me as I began to think of other hidden stories and what hiddenness can actually do. How maybe light comes from hiddenness, not only from being out there, James read the story of Paul in Galatians, who, after his conversion, went out into the desert for three years to try and figure out what exactly he had experienced and what was coming next. Billy Graham said that if he had it to do all over again, he'd study more 
and preach less. He wouldn't be seen as much as he was. Nelson Mandela, whose story I mentioned briefly, lived the painful and forced hiddenness of prison. While unjust, it became the place in which he was formed to carry a vision differently than he might have previously. Thomas Merton, considered one of the most influential spiritual writers of the 20th century, went into a monastery at 26 years old, and while not hidden, in many ways he was. While writing and speaking, he believed that it was in the quiet places that the world was changed, believed he carried the world by his praying and silence from inside a monastery far away from everyone else. Henry Nouwen was a Catholic priest who chose hiddenness at the end of his life, eschewing writing and speaking as a primary part of his life to simply become part of a large community, caring for a young man named Adam for many of the last dozen years of his life. Closer to home, I was talking with some of you one evening some time ago when one of you spoke of discoveries of quietness, less participation, hiddenness of a sort, no longer feeling the desire, as you put it, to hear yourself talk. For you and now in hiddenness, the place where new meaning is found after a life of creating meaning by activity. We might say, what? Are you kidding? Hiddenness? Non-activity? Better than running around and making the world a better place? Well, maybe not necessarily, or at least not alone, but maybe a necessary practice that makes running around better, actually makes it light, and makes you into Jesus' light? Hiddenness became the place out of which Jesus walked, ready for a three-year ministry, 33 years of life, only three that we know about what he was doing. What a waste, huh? Why didn't he get to it earlier? Like right after this story in Luke that we hear about his hiddenness, and before we hear about it, I'm sorry, it's a story when he was 12 years old. His family took him to Jerusalem, no longer scared, I guess, and there he was conversing with the learned and listening and asking questions in the temple, greatly astonishing everyone because of his understanding and answers when he entered their conversation. Well, some might say, well, of course, he was divine. He claims to be in his father's house, in God's house, God his father, and so he already knew who he was and what he was going to do and what he was able to do. He was able to answer all because eventually he would speak and do and become well, maybe, or maybe he was becoming in the hidden. That's the title of my sermon, if you saw it in the bulletin. A bad one, I admit. I had another one chosen, but I didn't get it changed before Audrey printed. I forgot to let her know about it. It should be formed in the hidden. That's what I was going to suggest. So back to Jesus, maybe he was being formed in the hidden formed by parents who were devout enough to take him to Jerusalem every year for the Passover, as we read here, by parents who had given him a formation in which he was becoming the one who could already speak and become, yet not enough yet to move out and become unhidden. Jesus soaking it up, becoming informed in small, insignificant, out-of-the-way, unnoticed Nazareth so that when it was time, He'd be the one he needed to be so as to fulfill the very, very difficult ministry in life, death, which he was about to live out. Hidden to be formed so as to be able to be light. That hiddenness actually makes its way into his ministry after he is finally revealed. Forty days in the desert to begin. Nights alone on mountains praying trying to get away from people for a spell, telling folks not to tell others about him when he heals them or helps them. Somehow, hiddenness was the strength which formed and fueled Jesus, was that which made him into light. So for us, entering a new year, I'd encourage us to consider some hiddenness. Symbolic, maybe, not that which is entirely separated from our world, your world, of course, in ways which work for you and your schedule and your personality, but hiddenness in which you are formed in Christ, in which you become, in order to be who, one who, like Jesus, is ready to enter your world and able to live as you, as God, would hope that you would be able to. To be one carrying the world by sitting 
in silence with God, praying for all that is around you, not considering that wasted time, maybe not even considering busyness the best time. I'd like to leave you with two things if you'd be interested in that, open to that. Might believe that hiddenness could be good for you. I'd like to leave you with that in relation to connectedness. I don't know how you start your days and end your days. Maybe with devices and radios and computers and TVs and phones. Well, rather than this connectedness, might we start and end with hiddenness instead? Starting with coffee in the morning. I know not all of you drink coffee. You can drink water if you want, but I just do not get water in the morning. So starting with coffee. In silence, looking out the window, reading scripture, maybe something from a prayer book, going over the day in your mind, a prayer, asking God to have you ready for all that's going to come that you know is coming, and to actually have you ready for that which is going to be a surprise. Talking with and listening to God before you get connected. Obviously, if you have kids, you're going to have to do some serious adaptation. I get that. Only then, though, after you've been hidden and unconnected, turn on all of your gadgets, ready to be then in the world in a different way because you started hidden, not connected. And ending your day. At the end of the day, taking time to talk with God, yourself, or maybe your spouse or roommate if you have one that you live with, with about something significant or funny or difficult or meaning about during, meaningful during the day, something that you learned, saying thank you, praying over it or over people as you do, making the last moments of the day hidden rather than connected with emails or texts or internet or TV. I'm not good at that one, and I'm thinking that this could be a growth area for me. Starting and ending the day hidden so as to be formed and to become light, so as to be with Christ in the world as you have been made by God to be. Amen.
death into life everlasting. He passed and we followed him there. O'er us sin no more hath dominion, for more than conquerors we are. Please pray with me. God, thank you for the community at Grace, for those who share with us in its activities, and for all who serve its varied interests. Help us, as we have opportunity, to make our own contributions to the community and to learn to be good neighbors, that by love we may serve one another. God, hear our prayers for the people of our community who need your tender touch of healing and comfort in their lives, those we name before you each day, and those who are known only to you in the depths of our hearts. For Agape House and the good and important work they do, we thank you, God. Starting a new year, we pray they will have the resources they need. God, we remember the people of our world involved in conflicts, the innocent, guilty, and injured, the orphaned, widows, and dead, the politicians, peacemakers, and relief workers. God, we remember the people of our world involved in conflicts. Bring them comfort, compassion, and sustenance. Bring them repentance, forgiveness, and healing. 
bring them tears, love, and a peace that can endure. Amen. Let's pray. God, we offer gifts as a sign of thankfulness and a pledge of our love. Take all that we are and show us how to give with joy and share without fear. Amen. This piece by Olivier Messiaen's uh, One Look of 20, the original piece is about two hours long. I'm not going to play the whole thing. The, uh, this one is all about the communion of Mary and Jesus and the Holy Spirit and God. God is represented by these chords. The Holy Spirit sounds like this in transcendent harmonies. Listen for also the... Uh, the Mary with her child. And the Magnificat when she has breathless enthusiasm. Near the end you'll also hear the uh, heartbeat of Jesus. And you'll also hear the, um, what sounds like bells, a time forever changed. As you listen, I encourage you to vi uh, visualize and experience it. The, what Messiaen has tried to con uh, portray, just the awe-striking holiness of God and just how incredible it was that Jesus came to this earth.
Okay, our final song for the day is 10,000 Reasons. Please stand and join us. I just want to ask if anybody for the refugee family that is coming, some small tables for end tables or night tables, some bedroom lamps, some single sheets, towels for bathroom or kitchen. These are the items that we need to finish off this home and they will be here on the 21st of January. So we have a very short amount of time. So I appreciate it if you would think about these things 
And if you have them, you can get a hold of me as Shannon Biesbrecht. Thank you. Please receive the benediction. May we extend the grace given to us by God to all people everywhere. May we embrace the power of God to refresh and redeem us. May we hold fast to God's endurance. Amen. <laughs>